today we're going to discuss how we can tell the story of Jesus to others well. And now you may think, I, I already know how to do that. But do you really know how to do it well? Now, I was challenged as uh, I prepared this message that I could tell the story of Jesus better. And we all could, couldn't we? We could always tell the story of Jesus better to other people. And in order to learn this better, we're going to look briefly at the life of a fellow named Philip. He was quite a model to us, in fact. He's a man described in the book of Acts as full of the Spirit and wisdom. Now, if you're going to have anything on your CV as a Christian, that's a pretty good CV, full of the Spirit and wisdom, right? And he was quite a remarkable man. He was one of seven men set apart by the church and the apostles to care for the needs of those who were most vulnerable among them. Uh, so he would distribute food and quite possibly finances to the Christian widows who were being neglected. But his ministry wasn't limited to that. No. When the great Christian persecution broke out, uh, when Stephen, the godly man, was stoned to death, Philip, along with most other Christians, fled Jerusalem and were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, which is really a wonderful story of God's grace. What would seem like a terrible thing, the persecution, uh, ended up resulting in Jesus' commission beginning to be fulfilled. So as they were scattered, the gospel went out uh, toward the Gentiles and the Samaritans. And Philip was a key part of that story because as he went out, he told the story of Jesus with power. First in Samaria, and I encourage you to read the book of Acts 8 if you can today. It's an incredible story. And then to a most important Ethiopian official in Acts chapter 8. Uh, just as an aside, when I was preaching in the first service, we had an Ethiopian visitor today. So if there's any time to visit, today was the day. That's pretty cool. Now, it's from this story, we're going to uncover three helpful practices that can significantly help us to tell the story of Jesus well or better. Now, just before we look at these three practical tips, let me say how incredible these stories of Philip are. You see, Philip was a Jew and was breaking down huge cultural barriers as he brought the gospel to these Samaritans and Gentiles. He was one of the very first cross-cultural missionaries in the whole New Testament. And so the gospel started at the epicenter of Jerusalem and exploded outwards. So we can learn a great deal from Philip when it comes to telling the story of Jesus with others, especially from a man full of the Spirit and wisdom. And if we live anywhere in a multicultural world, Fairfield is the place, isn't it? One of the most multicultural cities in the world. So I think we could probably take a page or two out of Philip's book, and we're going to hear that now. So how do we tell the story of Jesus well? How do we do it well? Well, in our story today, we see that we need to be open to the Spirit's leading. Open to the Spirit's leading. Now, God often does this by laying His desires on our hearts and on our minds. It likes he gives us an, it's like He gives us a nudge or sometimes a clear conviction in our heart or mind to talk to someone, to text someone, to ring someone, to pray for them or help them, to encourage or reach out to them. And if you've been a Christian for any time or some time, you'll know that's true. God often lays people on our hearts or our minds. Sometimes there might even be a random stranger you meet and you just feel like you really need to go and talk to them. Uh, sometimes you find out someone's not well and God places that person on your heart. And when we obey the Spirit's leading like this, when God puts these people in our hearts or minds, and we obey, God always steps in and helps us to minister to such people in those situations. And that's exactly what happened in Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian. Have a listen to this really wonderful story. 
Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, so it's a good start, isn't it? An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. So this is an important guy, the treasurer of the Ethiopian queen. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now I've highlighted it for importance. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Now notice this. God was already clearly at work in this Ethiopian's life. After all, he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship the one true God and was reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. But do you think, do you think Philip knew any of this? No, of course not. Philip, though, was open to the Spirit's leading, so in obedience to that nudge or conviction, Philip runs up to the Ethiopian's chariot, and lo and behold, the official is reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, it really shouldn't surprise us that God is working the Ethiopian's life. Nor should it surprise us that God is working in the lives of those he leads us to either. Because where the Holy Spirit is at work, you can be sure God is working there too to bring salvation or forgiveness or conviction or whatever God wants to do there. Now we should remember that when God leads us. Because sometimes God does lead us in our heart, doesn't he? Sometimes we feel like we need to talk some or ring someone. And uh, sometimes our natural reaction is, uh, particularly if it's out of our comfort zone, is no. Okay, someone else can do that. We feel like I don't feel comfortable to do that, right? But what we must remember when God leads us by the Spirit in this regard is He's already doing the work, okay? He's already gone before us. If you think God is leading you to someone, don't you think God is at work in their life? He doesn't go go to talk to someone who's done nothing in their life. He's at work. If the Spirit is at work in us, He's clearly at work in them because He prepares the ground, right? So that is an encouragement to us when God leads us not to go, oh, no, 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 but to say, God is, must be at work in this person's life. Giddy up, let's go. Now, I remember one time a few years ago when I was sitting with Josh and possibly Kaylee, I can't remember, at the food court in Kasula Mall. Uh, so we're living the dream. Anyway, we're at Kasula Mall and, uh, and there was this lady not far away sitting on a table. Now, I didn't know her from a bar of soap and the spirit definitely convicted me, you need to go and talk to that lady. And I can't remember exactly, but I think I probably, my, my response was probably like, I don't know that lady, I'm not going. <laughs> but then, of course, the spirit's at work in you and he's going, no, no, go, go. <laughs> go okay, fine, I'll go. So off I went and uh, introduced myself to this lady. And what proceeded from there was wonderful. We had the most incredible conversation about the Lord and her life. And it was just clearly God was in the whole thing. And what was actually really cool about it too is um, after I spoke to her, she told me, you know, it's funny, I was sitting there watching you and I thought to myself, look at that nice young man with his children. Uh, now, if God wasn't involved in opening her heart, who is, right? So, I mean, people, I don't think generally people are looking at me thinking that, I, I hopefully, I don't know. But the point is God opened her heart. Do you see what I'm saying? And this is what I'm trying to say. Now, I'm not blowing my own horn because there's plenty of times the Spirit has said, you know, go and do something and I've gone nut. Okay, so I'm a work in progress too. God is still working in my heart to make me 
more and more like him. But the reason I tell you this story is to encourage you that when you are open and obedient to the Spirit's leading, God can use you mightily, even just like Philip, to tell the story of Jesus. But once we're open to the Spirit, how do we go about sharing the good news with others? Well, in the next section of our story, we discover how important it is to explain the good news. Explain the good news. So we don't just share the good news, we explain it. Now think about that for a moment. When you're at school or at uni or or adult education, any form of uh, learning environment, what helps you to understand what you're being taught? Think about that. What helps you to understand what you're being taught. Now think about that. The only way you can truly understand what someone is teaching you is if they explain it to you first, right? So why do we get education? To learn stuff. So what we didn't understand, we now understand. And a good teacher explains things well. I remember when I was at school, I loved history because the teachers brought you into the story, explained it well, it captured your heart and imagination. I wanted to become an archaeologist at one point. So right now I could be with a little pitash, which is like a little hammer in a dirt hole, going duk, 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 duk. I'm glad I'm not doing that. Um, but I remember, I love geography now, but at school I had hopeless geography teachers and I hated geography because they didn't explain it well. It was boring. Now, I wish I had to listen because I'm fascinated with it now. Now the point is this, right? We shouldn't assume that if we just tell people the good news without really explaining it, they'll just get it. That's absurd, isn't it? Now, God can overrule our failings, of course, and he often does. But when you become a Christian, you don't leave your brain at the door. No, you fully engage it. You ask questions. You explore the scriptures. You listen to good sermons. You check to see if your newfound faith stands up historically and reliably. You see if it makes a difference in your life. In short, you ask for a reasonable explanation of the good news and God does the rest in you. You don't check your brain out at the door. In fact, the very opposite. That's why I love books like More Than a Carpenter or The Case for Christ or courses like Christianity Explored or Alpha because they give a reasonable explanation for our Christian faith and it helps explain our faith to others. That's why I love movies, again, like The Case for Christ or I Can Only Imagine because they explain the facts or show the difference Christ can make in our lives. That's why I love good sermons because they help me to understand the scriptures and to apply them to my life and share them with others. And ultimately, that's why I love the Bible most of all, because God's word explains the good news to us. It teaches us the truth. It explains how to receive it, live it, and share it with others. It gives us more than a reasonable explanation for the truth. Now, when Jesus commands and commissions us to go and make disciples of all nations with the good news, we don't just share the good news with people. No, we explain it. We give a reasonable explanation in order for them to understand, become disciples of Jesus Christ. That makes sense, doesn't it? And let me say this. This explanation of the good news becomes all the more important when we need to cross a culture or another religion to present the gospel. 
especially if they come from a totally different worldview. I did a course a couple of years ago on uh, reaching those who are from a Buddhist faith, and their worldview is so different to ours, it actually affects how we explain the gospel. Now, that shouldn't deter us from sharing with Buddhists if we haven't studied Buddhism, but it's an encouragement for us to educate ourselves how we can explain the gospel well to those we share with. And the most obvious place, what is the best resource we can use to equip ourselves to share the gospel? What is the best resource? The scriptures, the scriptures, the truth that will set people free from their sins. That's the foundation of our truth, isn't it? And a reliable, the most reliable ancient historical document by far in the world. Now, that's certainly what Philip used to explain the good news to the Ethiopian after being led by the Spirit to him. Listen to the story. Again, a great story. Let's get involved in it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. I've highlighted again the words to help us. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? Now, he's not a dope, okay? He's the treasurer of the Ethiopian treasury. He's a smart guy. But what does he say unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now we'll pause before I keep reading the the scripture there. Keep it up, guys. Now who's this talking about here? This passage is talking about Jesus Christ, the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. And Christ himself uh, relates Isaiah 53 on a number of occasions to himself. Uh, and he, he, in fact, he understood his death in light of this passage. Okay, let's keep going. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Very cool. Now notice this. Philip explains the good news from the scriptures, our foundation of truth. And he meets the Ethiopian where he's at Beginning with that very passage of Scripture, he tells him the good news and goes from there. So he doesn't just share, but he explains the good news from the Scriptures. And he doesn't just explain, he meets him where he's at and goes from there. Now we must do the same with others. Meeting them where they're at, whatever their understanding of God and Jesus are. This is important. If we are going to explain the gospel, the good news, the story of Jesus to people, where do we actually start? We start with zipping it and listening. Because how can we possibly explain to people where they're at with the gospel unless we don't first have some understanding of who they are and their story? Now, think about this. We live in a world right now where people really don't give a rat's about each other. You know, people are very self-centered and selfish. And if you actually give people the time of day to hear their story, to really listen to them, to hear, not only are you going to affirm them, and very likely their heart will be opened. But secondly, then you can meet them where they're at and go from there. That's important, isn't it? Because no one likes someone bashing them with the Bible, do they? And it's not appropriate either. We shouldn't be doing that. It hurts. <laughs> and I have a heavy Bible, by the way, so best I don't do it. But, but the point is, if we meet people where they're at, then we can really minister Christ to them. Because all of this explanation starts with what? It starts with love. It starts with love. If we hear them, we love them, we explain it. Man, 
can really make a difference. And God can work as he leads us to them. Now, let me encourage you then to equip yourself so that you can explain the good news to others better. Uh, if you are studying uh, law to become a lawyer or uh, accounting to be an accountant, uh, that would be a smart move, right? Because you're equipped in that role. What if you went uh, to the bar exam or actually somehow was representing a client in court uh, and you hadn't studied law but somehow you'd become a lawyer and you were representing them? Would you have any foot to stand on? No, you'd be hopeless. You would be ill-equipped for the task. Well, what is the most important task that God gives us? What is, what is the greatest commission and task that he gives us, beyond our jobs or anything, is to go and make disciples of all nations, is to reach the lost with the gospel. Yet so often we so ill-equip ourselves with the most important task we have. So how do we equip ourselves? Well, we spend time studying and memorizing the scriptures. We listen to good sermons to explain and understand. We read helpful Christian literature. We do maybe Christian or evangelistic courses. We might download a good Christian app like the Parkside app. Uh, we, uh, we join a good Bible study group. We talk to mature Christian people. I mean, look, the list could be endless. Whatever you do, you enable yourself to grow in your faith and empower yourself to explain the story of Jesus to others well. Right? The good news. Now, let me pause for a moment and say this. If you think, well, I haven't gone to Bible college, or I haven't done a degree, or I haven't done all this training, so I'm ill-equipped to share the gospel with others. Well, look, <laughs> let me say this. When I was at Bible college, uh, we had a very famous lecturer, John Chapman, who was an evangelist, uh, a great godly man, and he taught us preaching. He was one of the lecturers taught us preaching. And he used to say to us of preaching, and I think this is true of evangelism too, it's a, dear brother, don't worry, the first 50 years are the hardest. In other words... You've got plenty of time to grow and learn. <laughs> You're not there yet. Get on with it. <laughs> and let me say, the early Christians didn't do a uh, three-year Bible course, okay? They were saved, they heard some teaching, and they just went out and preached the gospel. So yes, we should equip ourselves, but that should never discourage us from getting on with the task of sharing the good news, because it is good news in a terribly bad news world. And God can equip and enable us. Now, once you're open to the Spirit's leading and seeking to explain the good news to others, the next step in sharing Jesus' story is to help them to respond. Help them to respond. You see, the gospel always calls for our response. And that call is to repent, turn away from our sins, believe, and be baptized. We see that again and again in the early church and in the book of Acts. For example, when the Apostle Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost, that famous sermon to the Jews from every nation, he exhorted them to do what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And similarly, still in Acts, we read from Philip, who we're talking about today. He preached in Samaria. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. What's my point? My point is, when we explain the gospel to those whom God leads us across their path, we should give them an opportunity to respond, to repent, to believe, to be baptized. Indeed, if we explain the gospel properly, then what we have shared will demand a response in their hearts and minds, especially when God's at work in their hearts by His Spirit. He niggles, doesn't He? He niggles and niggles and niggles and niggles. He's like, ah, sometimes. 
or until, oh, but we come to Christ. Now, of course, uh, it's up to us, it's up, it's up to them how they respond. We never force the gospel on anyone. That is counterproductive, and, and I don't believe biblical. But if the Spirit is working in their heart, they will respond, won't they? And, and of course, for some, this is a longer journey than others. But the gospel leaves no room for sitting on the fence. When we sit on the fence, we choose a side. Everyone is called to respond. It's a great book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It does demand a verdict. But those responses can be quite different, as Paul says. Have a listen to how people respond quite differently. And this is so true again today. Now, Paul talks, he says, Now, Paul, he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived, perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and gloom, a doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. So be aware that you and I will have quite different responses from people. So some people are a bad smell. <laughs> but don't be discouraged because to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. So we're better than Calvin Klein Eau de Toilette. We are Jesus' perfume. <laughs> and that is life-giving. Isn't that wonderful? So don't be discouraged when sometimes you get the bad smell, people. <laughs> now, this certainly was the case when Philip explained the good news to the Ethiopian. Listen to his response. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, I, I love his fervor here, look, here is the water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? I wish everyone just did that. That's amazing, isn't it? He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. <laughs> now, whether this God fearing eunuch knew that baptism was a symbol of repentance and conversion, quite possible because he was a God fearer, a proselyte. Or whether Philip appealed to the Ethiopian to be baptized, but it doesn't tell us there. We don't know for sure. But one thing is for certain, once the Ethiopian eunuch had made his decision to follow Christ, his natural, his natural response was to do what? To be baptized. To be baptized. And in that beautiful moment, the water was a visible sign of the washing away of his sins and of his baptism with the Holy Spirit to live a new life. Baptism is such a beautiful thing. Uh, if you've been to any of the baptisms here at our church, it is just a joy. Perhaps you've been baptized here. It's wonderful. Because baptism is this wonderful symbol of being dead to our sins and then being washed clean, buried to that life, and being born again and made new, washed clean, empowered by the Spirit to serve Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful symbol of what Christ has done. And, and it's an incredible testimony, an incredible privilege too, when uh, we have faithfully sowed into people and they respond by repenting, believing, and being baptized. Uh, you know, I have many joys in my life, my children, my wife, Jesus, but I can think of no greater joy, and it is so true, when you uh, have a privilege of leading someone to Christ, it just doesn't get any better than that. The Bible says there, is, there are angels rejoicing in heaven, literally, when people come to Christ. It is just beautiful. They have, they have been brought from death and judgment and hell to eternal life, forgiveness and hope 
and relationship with the king of the universe. Now, this begs the ultimate question to us. Have you responded to the gospel? (laughs) Now, that seems a strange thing to say in church, doesn't it? But it's not a strange thing at all because I don't assume every single person in church is a Christian. They have been coming here for many years, but if you're really honest with yourself, maybe I haven't really responded to Jesus fully. Like, I haven't repented and turned away from my sin and put my faith in him. You see, we need to recognize the seriousness of our own sin and the desperate need we have for a saviour. Friends, the scriptures tell us God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, the one who took our punishment, the sacrificial lamb for us, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, you need to think about this. What God the Father gave was the most costly thing he could possibly give, his own son. And his son willingly suffered an excruciating death and separation from God his Father, which is even worse, so that you and I might, so he might receive the punishment for our wickedness. And we simply need to believe in him to receive that forgiveness and hope and eternal life. It is a remarkable, costly transaction for God. And it's a remarkable love. I would not give my children to die for, for, my, for my, not that I really have enemies, but for my enemies. No way. But that's exactly what God did. Now, why would God do something so serious and severe? Why would Jesus willingly do something so incredibly painful and really seemingly awful? Because sin is really serious. Our rebellion against God, our rejection of Him, deserves judgment. We, we, we deserve help. But God so loved you and I, He considered us so valuable to Him, that He would pay the ultimate price for you and I that we might receive forgiveness, hope, and eternal life. When you realize the beauty of that gospel, when you realize God is offering you a first-class ticket to heaven, you'd be mad not to take it, wouldn't you? Especially in the Scriptures promise, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone, it doesn't matter blue, green, red, orange, doesn't matter what religion, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So don't leave it till it's too late. Why don't you respond today? Believe in Jesus Christ, repent and turn away from your sins and you will be saved. The scriptures promise that. And friends, we'll be holding a baptism service at the end of October. So good timing. Sign up today, baby. Please let us know. And if you're sitting here saying, Matt, I am a Christian, and that is wonderful. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's some things in your heart you need to get right with God still. Some repenting, some things you've got to stop going this way and go the right way. Maybe you want to pray without me in a moment too. And if you're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm following the Lord, 
why don't you pray for others here today? Because I'm going to give an opportunity for every one of us now to respond. And if you'd like to pray this prayer with me, genuinely, and put your faith in Christ, you will be forgiven. There will be a party in heaven for you. You will be saved. It's not sitting on that chair that saves you, my friend, as comfortable as it is. It's Jesus Christ. Why don't we pray now? I'm going to pray one sentence at a time. You can pray in your heart with me. And if you'd like to pray this, pray quietly in your heart with me right now. Let's pray. An opportunity to respond. Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. I'm sorry for going my own way. Please forgive me for all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sin. I agree to turn from my old ways and follow you as my Savior and Lord. Please fill me with your Spirit and come and take first place in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer, I'd really love for you to tell me or someone you came with because we want to encourage you in that journey, give you a Bible, all of those things. Well, as we close today, I want to encourage you to share the story of Jesus with people in your life, with neighbors, colleagues, and friends. And to do this by being open to the Spirit's leading, explaining the good news, and helping them to respond. And I want to leave you with these last words. I want to leave you with a challenge. You ready? This is the challenge. You ready? All right, you ready. What are you doing to reach the people in your life with the good news of Jesus? I'm not asking what your wife's doing, your husband's doing, your friend's doing. I'm asking you. What are you doing to reach the people in your life with the good news of Jesus? You know, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out the workers. Will you be a worker for Jesus?